Well, if you have a Bible, please find your way to Genesis chapter 28 as we continue in this series, Faith of Our Fathers, in Genesis chapter 28. Now, a lot of you know me well, some of you know me casually, and some of you don't know me at all. Uh, My name is Brad, and I just have to confess to you right out of the chute that I am not a natural outdoorsman. It doesn't come naturally to me. Now, don't take that to mean that I hate being outside, that I hate creation, but I have been on numerous wilderness trips and I've done a lot of camping. But I say that because when it comes to having the choice of staying in a lodge or in a hotel with a bed with a continental breakfast, I am going to always choose the bed and the breakfast before I choose camping. (laughs) Amen. Which is really strange, though. A couple of Father's Days back, two summers ago, my wife asked me, what could we give you for Father's Day? And she was surprised by my response when I said, I'd like to go away on a solo camping trip. Why? Was her response, because she knows who I am. But I did. And I went away for a day and a night and camped out. And it was really a great day. I didn't have any media. I didn't have any phone calls, no videos, nothing. Spent some great time hiking, seeking, and talking to the Lord. I had an epic beard at the time, too, so that really helped with the soot on my face as I built my own fire. I set up my own campsite. And uh, I just had a really nice day of camping, seeking the Lord, and enjoying my time in the outdoors. But then, night came. And night was much different than the day. And although I had stayed outside several times in a tent, it was always with people. And the sounds that you hear in the night in the wilderness of Iowa are different when you're by yourself. Everything is heightened, and you hear everything that's going on. And as I went to bed that night, I realized that the air mattress I had had a hole in it. So I was sleeping just on the bare ground of the tent there, and the raccoons were so ferocious that I was sitting in a chair outside reading a book, and one didn't care that I was there. He just crawled right across my feet and didn't even stop. And then throughout the evening, they were scratching on my tent, and I could see their bodies up on the tent, and I could actually kick them from inside the tent. Well, eventually, I fell asleep, only to be woken up at 3 a.m. by the sound of deep and heavy breathing outside the tent. And I was delusional. I had just woken up, and I assumed that it was a bear. And I said, this is the end. It's been a good life, Lord. I thank you for what I have. And then I heard the little jingle of a collar. And I realized what I was hearing was someone had let their dog just run all over the campsite. And he wanted to make his home around my tent that night. It was a terrible night. I was freaked out. And so where we're at here in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10, Jacob is experiencing many of the same things that I did. And this is what it says in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. 
taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. Now, this is Jacob. It is not Esau. He has lived and worked with his mama in the tent his whole life. For Jacob, staying at a Holiday Inn Express would be roughing it. He is not used to it. But here we find him by himself in the wilderness looking for a spot to sleep in the dark. And he props himself up on a rock. Not because it's comfortable, but more to protect himself from the ground, the things that might be crawling around. And I would imagine Jacob is freaking out a little bit. He's hearing noises. He doesn't know what he sees out in the dark because he can't see it. And there he is trying to fall asleep with his head on a rock as a pillow. Well, how do we get here? Why is it that now Jacob is doing this? Let's go back and look at our context from last week here in chapter 27. Right after Jacob stole the second blessing of Esau, verse 41 says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. He thinks he's going to die soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the word of Esau, her older son, was told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. So Esau is furious. And now he wants, after his brother has stolen two blessings for him, he wants and he plans to kill Jacob. But mom is told of these things and she goes and calls Jacob in, calls in Isaac and tells him of Esau's plan. So Rebecca says, what you need to do is get far away from here. Go to my country where I came from, where your father found me, and go and you can try to find a wife there as well as you escape from Esau. Don't marry a Canaanite woman. Go away for a while and then come back with a proper wife. And while he's there, he can marry one of the daughters one of the, instead of one of the Canaanite women. Now Isaac, the father, hears this and he agrees. He blesses his son and he sends him out on his way. Chapter 28, verse 5 says, this Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padram Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Armin, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because his son had set, taking one of the stones of the place to put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Jacob is on the run. He is scared as he's running from his skilled hunter brother who is trying to kill him. Now, where he ends up is Bethel. Now, Bethel is 12 miles north of Jerusalem. His home, where he was coming from, is another 25 to 30 miles beyond that. So many think that all in one day, this was Jacob's first night, and to flee from his brother, he has already covered 40 miles in his flight. So here he is, exhausted, 
laying his head on a rock, uncertain about his future, his life. And even though he's been successful in many ways, he's feeling defeated. Now, some of you are here this morning, and you can relate to Jacob. You're feeling some of those very same thoughts and feelings, alone, defeated. Maybe not right now, but you have, and you certainly will in the future. Even after something successful, it's been, a, it's been a great month for you, yet you still feel hollow, like there's something else that's out there. What I wanted to give to us this morning from this text is what God gives you when you're defeated and you're in trouble. What God gives you when you're defeated and you're in trouble. Verse 12 says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. The top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The first thing that God gives to us in our distress, in our trouble, catch this, is himself. God gives us himself. Now, this is a glorious vision that Jacob has. He sees a ladder that reaches from the earth to heaven. And more, actually, scholars say he sees more of a staircase, much like they would have had at the Tower of Babel, where they tried to build a tower to God. But this one actually reaches up to heaven. And the word behold is used all over this passage. Now, behold is used over a thousand times in the scriptures, but only in a couple places, like we see here in Genesis chapter 28, is it used over and over and over again. And that's for a purpose that Moses wants us to see. This is huge. This is really important. Pay attention to how awesome this sight was that Jacob was beholding. The Hebrew response here is almost like to have a over the hands over the mouth and hands above the head as you see the vision unfolding. Oh my, there is a stairway leading to heaven. And there's angels that are walking up and down it. Oh, and the Lord himself is standing up above it. This is a huge and glorious vision. And as we are going to see this morning, the whole point of the vision, the whole theme of it, what it's all about is God himself. That's what he's revealing to Jacob. He's revealing himself to him. Zlatan, maybe you've heard of him. He's an MLS now star. Uh, he is from the Premier League and several other leagues, but he's an international superstar soccer player. And he just made his way to the LA Galaxy, which is part of the MLS. Uh, maybe you've heard of that. It's our, it's our uh, Major League Soccer League here in the United States. And when he came, he made a pretty big deal about his arrival. In fact, he took out a whole page ad inside the LA Times, and this is what it said. Los Angeles, you are welcome. 
And when he came on, they were cheering his name. They were cheering his name. And so he said, I gave them what they wanted, me. Fox uh, Sports says this, Zaltan came bearing gifts, and the gift was himself. Now, God isn't like this. He's not an egomaniac where all he cares about is himself and promoting things forward. But God also knows that in promoting himself and forgiving you himself, that's the best thing for your life. Living and having a bigger picture of God and seeing God is how we were made to live. This is exactly what we need in times of defeat and in times of trouble. You see, so often we think, oh, I just need a fresh vision from God. Then I'll know what to do. But instead, we need a fresh vision of God and who he is. Not new revelation from God, but to see God and how he has revealed himself in the scripture for exactly who he is. He says, I am the Lord. That's capital L-O-R-D. That is not a distant God, but a near God, a relational God, a covenant-keeping God who keeps his promises. And he shows that in the way he reveals himself. He says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. Now, these are not just names to Jacob. They were his grandpa and his dad. And soon Jacob's very name was going to be added to that. So it would be God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the third patriarch. God is saying, this is what I'm doing. Look at me. I'm the greatest thing you can have. But do our prayers normally go this way? When you think about your prayer life, is it typically, oh God, I'm in a hard situation right now. Would you show me what to do? Oh God, would you just get me out of this? When instead, we should pray, God, I'm struggling right now. I'm hurting. Would you give me a bigger picture of yourself in my mind? Would you help me to see more clearly and get a bigger vision of you? That's why the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist knew that all he had was God, and Augustine echoes, oh God, we were made for you, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Do you believe that? God gives us first himself, and secondly, he gives us his promises. Verse 13 And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in your offspring, all the nations and families of the earth shall be blessed. Number three or number two, I'm sorry, God gives us his promises. God gives us his 
promises. God repeats again the promises that he gives to his grandfather and dad. God is saying, listen, Jacob, I don't change. I haven't changed. The promises that I've made to your family are going to happen. You can trust those. I found your grandpa when he was worshiping idols. He wasn't a great guy. He didn't have it all together. And he said, but in my grace, I chose him and I gave him blessings and promises to him, not based on him, but based on me. And I'm going to do the same thing for you, Jacob. Now, this is good news for Jacob. Why? Because Jacob is a jerk. He's deceiving people. All he does is he's trying to find and make people unhappy and always promoting himself. If Jacob was, at, is, was living in our area, maybe a wife would come to the cell group leader and say, hey, I'm really concerned for my husband. He's been spending a lot more time with Jacob. I'm wondering if maybe you could talk to him about it. Or if he was a young child in his church, maybe he'd be playing in the gym and you'd be like, hey kids, we want to love Jacob, but let's do it from a little further distance from him, okay? This is who Jacob was. He doesn't deserve any of this. Don't we so much when we're going through hard times, we have this entitlement. In the moments of defeat and trouble, we think, God, you owe me. Look how faithful I've been. I'm here at church. I'm doing all the right stuff. You owe me this because of my faithfulness. No, he doesn't. You know why? Because you're a jerk too. Now, it's kind of funny to hear that about Jacob, right? But when it's said about us, about me, it's like, ooh, that stings a little bit, but it's true. We don't deserve anything. We deserve nothing from God. And remember, this vision is all about God. It's in spite of Jacob, in spite of us, he reminds us and keeps his promises that aren't dependent on us. And he says, what I began in you, I will bring it to completion. So God gives us himself. He reminds us of his promises. And third, he gives us his presence. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God tells Jacob, Eventually, I'm going to bring you back to your homeland. But do you notice he doesn't tell anything about what's going to happen in between then? And he doesn't give him any kind of timeline. But he simply says, Jacob, I promise I'm going to do this and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. We find ourselves asking God, God, can you show me how this ends? When's this hard time going to come to a close? And God says, no, I'm not going to show you that. I know when it ends. Trust this. I will be with you every step of the way. But God, some kind of time frame would be nice. I mean, there's a lot going on here. And he says, no, but I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be with you at every turn. 
I was at Old Navy the other day, and you know, stores like that always play like the most, the best music while you're walking around in there, right? No, it's usually really annoying and really repetitive, isn't it? Well, there was this one song that was playing, and the whole time, like the whole song was just this, you don't have to be alone, 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 like the whole time. And I was like, ah, this is driving me crazy. But then it started like weighing in on me, and I was like, I should look that up and see who it is. And on the way home, I listened to the same song. (laughs) And you know what happened? I started feeling really lonely in the car by myself. (laughs) Why do people sing songs like that? Because it's every human being's greatest fear. Am I going to be rejected, abandoned? Am I going to be alone? Am I gonna go through these hard moments alone, by myself? You're sitting there now and you feel alone. You've been betrayed. I'm going through this and I feel like no one's there for me. God gives you the promise of his presence that all who are in Christ will never be alone. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 23, you probably know it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So you are going to walk through the valley I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, I used to hate the command. Hate's a strong word. I don't mean that. I used to loathe the command, pray without ceasing, that's found in the Bible. Because I think to myself, that's impossible. I could never do that. No one could ever do that. I can't pray all the time. It's ridiculous. And then I heard that explained to me in such a way that it means that you're living in a way that you're constantly aware of God's presence. And when I understood it that way, that I'm continually aware of God's presence, I'm listening to him in his word and I'm talking back to him in prayer, that verse came from something that I loathe to something that I now love because I understand that means that God is always with me, always waiting to have conversation, always ready to comfort me with his presence. Fourthly, God gives us an invitation. He gives us an invitation. Now there's this really significant fact in this passage that can be really easy to miss. And it is the fact that God is standing. James McDonald says there is only a few places in scripture where we see God standing. God hardly ever stands. Do you know why he's always sitting? Because he can. That's why he's sitting. God is sitting, ruling the universe. He has his feet up. He's not pacing back and forth like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, my goodness, there's so much happening right now. No, he's sitting. He's confident as ruler and king. That's why it says even in the worst moments, God sat enthroned above the flood. So if God is always sitting, what brings him up off the throne? What makes God stand? The answer is relationship. Relationship is when he stands and he reaches out to you and offers a relationship. He's standing at the top of these stairs, ready to receive and welcome Jacob. He's saying, come to me, rebel. 
Come to me that's always ran from me. I'm here standing ready to receive you. And he's reaching out to you and me this morning, standing in saying, come to me, you rebels. Won't you trust me? Won't you see the love that I have for you? I'm offering you myself, and this is exactly what you need. Now, Jacob understood this, and he didn't take it lightly. In fact, after this vision, he was terrified, which is what happens to everyone when they truly encounter God in the scriptures. But look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. That's what Bethel means. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. So Jacob wakes up and he realized, listen, God has spoken to me. This is a special place, and he names it Bethel, where God speaks to him. He anointed the rock, setting it apart, where God offered him a relationship. Listen to you who are sitting here this morning. God is offering you this Bethel relationship with him, where you hear from God and you live in a real relationship with God. And sometimes Bethel is a place, sometimes it's a place where you are convicted and your heart is turned to God. Sometimes that happens. But God is saying, listen, Bethel can be anywhere that you approach me. Bethel is, is some of us, we sit here and we go, yeah, this is kind of the Christian life. I come on Sunday mornings, and if I really want to show that I'm godly, I come on Sunday nights. And this is just kind of what I do. I check off the boxes, and then throughout the week, it's just living life. And we convinced that the, the Christian life is all about just religious activity rather than a real relationship with God. Won't you see that God is calling you to so much more than that? He's calling you to a thriving, growing relationship with Jesus. Behind me, you'll see a picture of uh, my wife and I, one of our earliest apartments. We lived on the second and third floor of this place. And this was very much a Bethel-type place for me because I had grown up in the church and I kind of thought that Christianity was just doing activity. I didn't see it as a thriving, growing, real relationship with God. And in this place is where I started to seek God and his word, where I started to listen and understand the gospel and I started to see myself in light of who God was And this isn't just something that's past tense. I have a real relationship with God now. Even just last week, just last week, I come home from work. And even after a great victory, I just, I feel defeated. And I sit down on the the kitchen floor. I'm just, it's not, my mind is all over the place. And I took comfort in knowing that I wasn't alone That in that moment on that kitchen floor, I was seeking God and beholding him. And that was a Bethel experience. Don't you see that this is what God is calling you to all the time? Any place, anywhere. His presence is everywhere as long as we acknowledge it and we see him in it. Let's look at the last one, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, 
and I will keep me this way that I go. I will, oh, I'm sorry, let me start that over. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and, I will, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all you give to me, I will give a full tenth to you. Lastly, we see that God brings us and gives us his patience. He gives us his patience. Jacob makes a vow to God and promises to worship him, to build him a house, and to give him a tenth of all that he has. But Jacob has a backup plan, just in case God doesn't come through. Did you notice where he says, if you do this, God, if you come through and you provide for me, then I will worship you, then you will be my God? All this stuff comes through, and he look at it and go, Jacob, don't you see it's already come through for you? But Jacob's still a scoundrel. He's still a work in progress. He doesn't have it all together yet. And we find ourselves relating much to Jacob, don't we? We have this great experience with God and then just moments later, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I really trust him. Let me just test out a little things here and then if God really comes through for me, then I'll give my full self to him. Does God desire that and demand it and is he worthy of it? Yes. He wants all of you, not just parts. But this is what Hughes says. Our ifs and our thens although they may, not, they may be more subtle than Jacob's and are not articulated the same way as his are, they are there nonetheless. Each one of us has an if, God. If you do this, then I will do this. And we find ourselves in this story, quick to forget, and we need to be reminded of God's promises that he has not forgotten us. So how do we, not remember, how do we keep remembering him? We take time to behold him. We take time to behold him in his word and grow in relationship with him, to look intently at him and be wowed by what, who he is. It's been said before, you become what you behold. And our desire is to become like Jesus. We want to see more people come to know him and be like him. And as you behold him, he changes you into the image of his son. So spend time, sit before God, realize that he is exactly what you need. And he'll grow you and he'll change you to be like him. It's kind of a weird vision, isn't it? Kind of a strange vision that Jacob sees here. Well, Jesus gives us a little more clarity into this vision in the New Testament. The book of John opens up and Jesus is going around and he's recruiting and calling his disciples. And he comes and he sees this disciple, Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel had just said, when he'd heard about Jesus, he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? That was his response when he heard Jesus. And then Jesus sees him walking and he says to Nathaniel, ah, oh, Nathaniel, an Israelite who there's, no, there's found no deceit. And he turns to Jesus and he says, you know who I am? And he's like, do I know you? I saw you under the fig tree. 
Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but we come to think that the fig tree held spiritual significance for the life of Nathaniel, that that's where he would go to pray. And Jesus says, I saw you there seeking me. And Nathaniel turns to Jesus and he says, you're the Christ, you're the God of Israel, you're the king. And Jesus says, you believe all those things because I said I saw you under a fig tree? Wow. And he says, Nathaniel, you're going to see much greater things than that. And this is what he says he's going to see. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the heavens will be opened. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, Nathaniel knew his Old Testament. He knew that Jesus was talking about this very vision of Jacob. But Jesus explains it and expands it. And what is he saying? He says, Nathaniel, I'm the son of man. Those angels are ascending and descending on me. That stairway to God is me. He said, God is standing at the top, ready to receive, and I am the stairs, the ladder that will get you there. The old song, Stairway to Heaven, starts and ends with, there's a woman who's looking to buy a stairway to heaven. But you can never buy a stairway to heaven. It must be bought for you. And that's why Jesus laid down his life on behalf of all the Jacobs of the world. He took our sin upon himself, died in our place, and rose again, and now offers all who would believe he himself as the stairway to God, to the Father. That's why he says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman comes to the Father except through me. Oh God, wow. We stand here and we have the same response. When we see a vision of you, we say, wow, I've heard from God today. How should my life be different as a result? God, I pray that we would think about that. God, I know there's some out here this morning that that, uh, their hearts are far from you. They're cold. They're just here on Sunday. God, I pray that they would see that you're calling them. You're standing and offering a relationship beyond Sunday. Bethel, throughout the week, to hear and behold you. I pray they'd repent, turn to you, come back into a right relationship with you again. God, I pray for the one here that does feel alone, that is lost and and running away and unsure of the future. If that's you, would you see God? Would you see that he truly and believe that he really is himself is the greatest thing you can have? Not a plan of everything mapped out, but knowing that along the way that God is with you every step of the way. You're not alone. Let me say to you, those of you who are here that are looking in and wondering about all these things, You are alone. You don't have a God that's walking with you because you don't know him. Would you trust him today? Come into a relationship with God through the son, Jesus Christ, the stairway that brings you to God. Simply believe in him. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. Embrace his son and let Jesus take you 
up that stairway to God into a real relationship with him. God, I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.